1: Good afternoon and happy Father's Day to all the dads out there, including my own. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the best of fight back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. We've heard for months about the extremely rare risk of a blood clot syndrome associated with the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine. But there has been little made of side effects related to the Pfizer COVID vaccine. One of those side effects is swelling under the arms sometimes in the form of a lump, which is a symptom of breast cancer. But in this case, it is not a flag for breast cancer. On Wednesday, Libby discussed this side effect of the Pfizer vaccine, along with another, which is garnering headlines, when she spoke with Dr. Chi Ming Chao attending staff cardiologist at St. Michael's Hospital and professor in the Department of Medicine at the University of Toronto, Dr. Belinda Kirpin, a radiologist in the Breast Imaging Division of Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center, and Leanne Wright, Zoomer Media's Senior Vice President of Communications, who discovered a swollen lump under her arm after her second Pfizer COVID shot.
2: I got my second Pfizer shot uh, on June 7th, which was approximately nine weeks after I got my first shot. Everything was fine. I didn't have any of the uh, side effects that we've been warned about, like fever or flu-like symptoms. And it was about two days later, 48 hours later, almost to the minute, and I was in the shower, and without going into too much detail, you know, you do your usual self-examination, but I didn't really have to do an examination because... Right under my arm, I discovered a lump that was probably like, it was basically the size of a golf ball. So I jumped out of the shower and put my arms up in the air and was pretty shocked by what I saw. I do have to say breast cancer was on my mind because my aunt had been recently diagnosed with it. Um, and so I tried to avoid using Dr. Google, um, you know, consult your real doctor. But I went immediately to Google and I started Googling armpits Lump, vaccine, COVID. And I was amazed by how many articles and headlines I saw addressing this particular side effect. So there were headlines like, don't panic if you see a lump on your armpit after COVID vaccine. Well, that was too late. I was already panicking. (laughs) Um, There was uh, another headline, COVID vaccine may lead to harmless lump in your armpit. So delay mammogram for four to eight weeks. Don't be alarmed by this side effect. that could be confused with breast cancer. So there were all these headlines and articles, which, you know, I have to say reassured me that it was hopefully linked to the vaccine that I had two days prior. But I was really surprised that there's not been any broader coverage about the side effect in the
3: media, especially because it's so scary to discover. Let's bring in a doctor. Dr. Belinda Kirpin is a radiologist in the Breast Imaging Department of Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. And while we're on the subject of side effects, there's also a danger of myocarditis in young men, mostly, who get the Pfizer shot. For that, we're bringing in Dr. Ming Chow. Have you been hearing from women who experience this swelling, and, and what do you know
4: about it? Uh, there are a lot of women experiencing the swelling. Even myself, I had it. Really? And yes, it's uh, the normal uh, immune response uh, to a vaccine, and the um, the Pfizer vaccine uh, causes a very intense immune response. So it's actually a good thing. It means that your body is reacting and developing your immune response to the, um, to the COVID-19. Is it better just to postpone a mammogram or to put an interval between the mammogram vaccine? Well, I would say if it's for a screening mammogram, that means that the patient does not have any symptoms or any lumps. It can be postponed up to six weeks after the vaccine.
3: Dr. Chow, what is myocarditis? Well, myocarditis is a general term that describes inflammation uh, that is in the heart muscles.
5: So uh, we've noticed uh, there's been actually reports uh, of this myocarditis. It's been described among uh, younger individuals, which are 16 to 30, and they tend to be male. And uh, FDA has actually put out a number, which is about 16 out of 1 million of people who have received their COVID vaccine may have developed this. And, but fortunately, all the symptoms tend to be quite mild.
3: Dr. Kirpin, what would you like to leave us with on this?
4: What I would like to leave uh, off with is that the vaccine is very important. The side effects are low. And whatever side effects there are, they are not uh, like uh, the lymph node increasing in size is not life threatening. So I would encourage everyone to get their vaccine, to continue with their lives, have their mammogram. We can usually take care of all of the of most of the side effects that there are.
1: Dr. Belinda Kirpin, radiologist in the Breast Imaging Division of Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center, Dr. Chi-Meng Chow, attending staff cardiologist at St. Michael's Hospital and professor in the Department of Medicine at University of Toronto, and a special thank you to Leanne Wright, Zoomer Media's Senior Vice President of Communications, for sharing her story of what we are learning is a fairly common symptom of the Pfizer COVID vaccine. This is Zoomer Radio's best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Personal care salons have been closed in the city of Toronto and the region of Peel since November 23rd. And because of this lengthy shutdown, along with lower daily COVID-19 cases and increasing numbers of people vaccinated against the virus, there is a push to allow salons to reopen before the target date of July 2nd. Brampton's mayor is leading the call, asking the Ford PCs to allow personal service businesses like hairdressers and spas to reopen now, not two weeks from now. On Thursday, Libby Nimer was joined by a couple of personal care salon owners, along with Mayor Patrick Brown.
6: Well, we've made great progress. Uh, we have over 75% of our population vaccinated with first doses. Uh, we're making real headway into second doses as well. We've seen our case counts go dramatically down the best numbers we've had since September. We only have four people in our ICU. Wow. And because the population has sacrificed so much, Where the science dictates we can have a safe reopening, I believe we should. In March, our medical officer of health wrote the province saying that he thought we could safely reopen this sector. Then the emergency break got pulled and that got cancelled. But really, my plea to the province is this sector has been hit so hard. They've been closed since November. And what really confounds it for me, when I've got a constituent calling, and I've had some of these business owners in the personal services sector call me literally in tears, and if I had a response to say to them, you being closed is saving lives, you know, I, I, I could give that explanation. But I can't in this case. You know what? When I had crowded factories calling me asking to stay open, Amazon it was calling to stay open and they had 600 cases. I said, no, it's out of control. You need to get this under control. But in this sector, that's not the case. We haven't had a single outbreak during the entire pandemic in the setting in Peel region. Not a single forward case that, that's been traced to hair salons or barber shops, uh, and and for that reason, I, I really believe that we can safely reopen today in 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 the sector.
3: And now I'm joined by Stefania Capovila owner of Society Salon and Blow Dry Bar in Ottawa, and Akita Lee, manager of Chi Spa in Toronto. Okay, let us begin with uh, Stefania. What would you have to do to get back open?
7: So. In my particular circumstance, I have a small boutique salon right in downtown Ottawa, and our clients are, you know, mainly Parliament Hill, etc. And I'm you're talking to one of the lucky ones right now. I have a very small uh, space. It's myself, and I have two employees. So when we reopen, it, it will be like flicking a switch. I don't have to uh, have any limits on capacity, on staff, or anything like that. Um, but... I do know that a lot of my colleagues and friends in the industry, it's, it's not, they're not in that boat. Um, I believe our they haven't officially announced the capacity limit, but it looks like it will be 25% or up to five people in a space, no matter what
3: size it is um, at a time. Full disclosure, uh, Nikita is my aesthetician. <laughs> I really need a facial, Nikita. Aww. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I've thought of you often when I d- drive by the place and yeah. you're located right on Young Street in an expensive part of town. So <laughs> I'm just wondering, how are you hanging on? Did you have to take out loans and, and what are you going to have to do to earn enough money to pay everything back?
7: So um, a part of it that I have to use some of the loan from the government and uh, a part of it, I I have held from the you know from the rent subsidy. Yes, right. Because otherwise, I don't know how we can uh, keep up with this. Because we've been locked
4: out for so long.
3: Do you have a plan for for how do you how do you get ahead? How do you pay this money back once you are open? You
7: know what? Uh, that's a great point that you're making. That is not really being talked about right now. And I feel like it should be brought to light. A lot of people, a lot of business owners in our industry specifically, have been forced into a lot of debt. They've taken on a lot of debt because of this. None of this would have happened were it not for the pandemic. Through no fault of their own. That's right. They're yes. doing this to survive. And we're not really seeing anything in terms of, you know, there is t- is don't know what the specific schedule is for repayment, but there's no real... Um, I'm not hearing any uh, deferring of that or like moving it up, like figuring out because they haven't been working. They haven't been generating income. How are they supposed to start paying back these loans?
1: Stefania Capovilla, owner of Society Salon and Blow Dry Bar in Ottawa, Nikita Lee, manager of Chi Spa in Toronto, along with Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown. I'm Jane Brown and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back, coming up after the break. What about travel? When will fully vaccinated Canadians be able to get back on planes to visit other countries? We will discuss next.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. There is already a patchwork
1: of rules developing over which tourists will be able to visit the United States once they've been fully vaccinated. Some entertainment productions, like the Bruce Springsteen show on Broadway, have publicly announced on their websites that people who've been vaccinated with AstraZeneca won't be allowed to attend, since AstraZeneca has not been approved as a COVID vaccine by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. In fact, every country has different rules and restrictions, and they seem to be changing by the day. And what about a favorite Zoomer mode of travel, cruises? Are you ready to get on board again? And what's involved in being allowed on a cruise ship? On Thursday, Libby Snymer gathered a panel of experts to get some answers. Zanetta Rochema of Cruise Holidays of Clarkson, Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure Inc., and Gene Joshin, travel agent with B Smart Travel, a division of Nexion Travel Group.
5: We're calling it revenge travel. People are very excited but also very apprehensive as well with lots of questions. Uh, what if, what, what could possibly happen still going forward?
3: Okay, I, I, I hope I'm not going to bore everyone with, with the personal story of what I, and I'm, I'm a professional uh, journalist to, trained to find information going through, just trying to find out what the rules are for Canadian tourists traveling to Germany. So I went to the website. Um, I can't make head or tails of what they're saying there. Uh, it may as well be written in German. I was extremely patient. On a day off, I got through to somebody at the German consulate. That person told me, Canadian tourists are not allowed into Germany, period. They will not even be allowed in the plane. I said, you know, I know people who have tickets. Would Could you put that in writing, please? In a sentence that has the words "Canadian tourists," uh, and she gave me an email address, and what I got was a link back to the same incomprehensible website. Um, and again, I know people who are holding tickets who have questions, and and you hear all kinds of things. So, Jean, what's the story? <laughs>
5: you're you're not far off. It is so confusing, and. You know, it's not just Germany, but every country in the EU for using Europe as an example. uh, Extremely confusing, misleading. The updates are uh, not in real time. So it's continually to be fluid, uh, unsure. Yes, we can travel. No, we can't. I do know Canada is considered low risk to Germany and is in a very low risk group. Uh, but you are correct. It is very ambiguous for anybody looking to travel there.
3: I think we've uh, we've discussed this before, Martin Firestone. So even if you are double vaccinated from here, you've got uh, a piece of paper.
5: Yeah, and it's crumpled at that.
3: <laughs> and it's well, no, piece. I got another piece of paper because I got my second shot, and that one is neat. <laughs> but that's suggest, what I've got.
5: I suggest you go laminate it and get it looked after. Therein lies the problem. We don't know what we need. We don't know what we're getting. I have clients that got both shots down in the USA, Florida. As you know, many of our mutual people have done that. Where is the Canadian government going to have that on file that you can apply and get this card or whatever it's going to be? How are they going to prove that you got that shot in the U.S.? It's just utter confusion. It's chaos. And I don't know how this is going to all come together in such a short time.
3: Let's bring in Zanetta Roshmo. Cruises are even more restricted than the rest of everything. So, But I, I'm sure you have people who want to get, get in and, and book. Everything you
4: said um, is correct. We have to check with every country what their requirement is. Um, there are, though, several countries in Europe that we can travel to freely without worrying about being quarantined upon arrival, because that's another story that, that happens all over Europe. So slowly but surely, countries will open up, but at the moment, we really have to be very careful.
3: Martin Firestone, last word to you. I am closely watching
5: when July 4th or July 7th comes and see when we can get rid of the infamous hotel quarantine and then the ultimate 14-day quarantine, and then the next step will be the Level 3 travel advisory and the U.S. border opening up. So I think those are keys. They have to happen before everything else starts happening, and if they don't happen, we got a problem. So let's hope everything goes according to plan.
1: Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure Inc., Zanetta Rochman of Cruise Holidays of Clarkson, and Jean Joshin, travel agent with B Smart Travel, a division of Nexion Travel Group. This is Zoomer Radio's best of fight back. I'm Jane Brown. It's clear that Doug Ford's governing progressive conservatives at Queen's Park are already in election mode. This past Monday, they invoked the Notwithstanding Clause to limit spending on advertising by third parties a full year before the vote, which is where we're at right now. The opposition New Democrats, meantime, are getting an early start on campaigning, just as a recent poll shows them nearly tied in voter support with the Tories, 33% support versus 37 On Wednesday, Libby spoke with Ontario's NDP campaign director, Michael Balagas, to talk about the strategy and what Andrea Horvath is offering residents in this province as the pandemic slowly begins to wind down.
8: One of the challenges that uh, any opposition leader has is the public seeing them in a role other than that. Uh, and, you know, when uh, people are covering politics, they look to the leader of the opposition uh, to provide a critique of the government. And um, that's the, the main picture that people get to see of, of an opposition leader. And, you know, we know from the last campaign and we know from experience that people want to see a more rounded politician. And so this is an opportunity to show them those other sides of Andrea that they don't necessarily see every night on the 6 o'clock news.
3: Was there polling or something to say that that people see her negatively because of uh, what they see in question period?
8: No, not at all. In fact, for the most part, people uh, quite liked uh, that Andrea was standing up to Doug Ford, that Andrea was leading a lot of the opposition uh, and quite frankly, very supportive of the positions we were taking around long-term care, around paid sick days, et cetera. But there is also a sense that we want for folks who who were not quite there, who are not quite ready to uh, uh, to make the leap, it's like show us something else. We want to see more than just her ability to hold the government to account. And that's that's what voters want to see. They want to see all the all the elements uh, of their leaders. And so, This ad is an effort to do that. And, um, you know, we we know from the last campaign that uh, Andrea ran a very positive campaign, a campaign of hope, a campaign of vision. And people responded to it. So we know that this is what people are looking for in leaders, and and they see it in Andrea.
3: What about the Liberals? Uh, We've seen a little bit more of them than we have uh, for a while. They they don't even have official party status. The leader, Stephen Del Duca, is a former cabinet minister. Where do you think they're at, and uh, are are they... uh, a threat to you, do you think, or do you, what, do you have to do anything particular to differentiate yourselves?
0: I, I
8: think that, uh, you know, the Liberals in Ontario always have a very strong party brand. Um, and, and part of that is their federal party, part of that is their history in the province, and so they always have a very strong brand. And it's that brand right now that is carrying what support they have. I mean, very, very few Ontarians know Stephen Duca is the leader. Very few remember uh, his days in Cabinet. So it's not him. He is not driving any kind of support that they have. And quite frankly, I think that um, the more Ontarians see Stephen Duca and the more they are reminded uh, of the fact that he was one of the top Cabinet ministers in the Wynne government, I think the more of a liability that will become for the party.
3: The conventional wisdom is that, you know, the, the governing party has an advantage, an incumbent advantage. In Ontario here, we tend to reelect them. Uh, do you have anything, aside from the things we've been talking about, that, that you're going to try to turn that around with? Yeah, I think
8: we're going um, to try to turn it around, obviously, with a, with a platform that responds to folks, that engages people. Uh we think that the more we can um, uh, drive the contrast between Andrea and Doug Ford uh, in terms of their values, in terms of who they represent, in terms of who they speak for, um, we think all of those things uh, are going to turn it around. And, you know, in, in, incumbency advantage gets weakened dramatically when your record is bad. And this government, I think, pre-pandemic uh if you remember was not doing very well at all uh you're right they got a boost on the front end of the pandemic although some people would argue i mean the bar was people were were very very happy that Doug Ford was not acting like Donald Trump that was the initial bar uh but they moved on from that and um i i don't believe this government's going to run on its record
1: Ontario NDP campaign director Michael Balagas in conversation with Libby on Wednesday. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown.
1: Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. And now, Fight
0: Back's Knockout Call of the Week.
1: There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Marcia in Vaughan who phoned about her mom's experience in not receiving her medication while in long-term care.
9: Mom was in respite in one of the homes that um, the military was in uh, during COVID last year, and um, she was not administered her medication. For two days, mom was in there, and a friend went to visit her, and she was um, calling for help through the friend. A friend called us, and my sister and I darted down there. We were there within seven minutes, and we looked it up and we uh, talked it over. And my sister and I said, "Okay, let's leave her there for another day." Uh, Saturday morning at eight o'clock, I woke up in desperation, and I called my sister. I said, "We need to go and get mom." Mm-hmm. So we went, and we were packing her clothes, and we spoke with the head nurse, and we said, "Could could we have a list of the medication that she was administered? Because we didn't we didn't we don't want to uh, remedicate her." She said, we don't have any medication for her. I said, what are you talking about? We gave you a list before she came in, and none of her medication was administered. She declined. She went downhill. Um, we had to put her in a uh, nursing home. Uh, she was uh, there for a year and a half, and we lost her this September. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. sure. She declined very, very rapidly, and we, we contested. We called the ministry. Uh, they went in. They said had was an inspection. Everything was done. But apparently nothing came through. And um, she declined. She declined very, very rapidly. That does it for this week's Best of
1: Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fightback voicemail anytime at 416 367 9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join us again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeeb Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.